God is never content with where we are at. He doesn't want us becoming stagnant. And so He'll send things into our lives to shake up our perfect little world every so often. And really, the life of Joseph was anything but a perfect little world. But He put him through the mill for a reason. You see, we have a promise from God in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Are you one of them? If you are, we find out that God is working in your life for a reason to bring all those things that are happening to you together to fulfill His perfect plan and purpose for your life. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, if you would please, in the seventh chapter, Acts chapter 7. We're going to be talking today once again about how to overcome. We started this last time looking at the life of Joseph. And in the Bible, Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, that means there are some parallels. There are some types that we find in Christ and Joseph, and they kind of point one to the other. And really, uh, this passage here in Acts chapter 7 sums up the life of Joseph. Actually, it was being preached by a man by the name of Stephen. It's his last sermon. He was stoned to death after he preached it. Preachers hate when that happens, by the way. But anyhow, in this sermon, he mentions the great man Joseph. And then we're going to look at this this life of Joseph actually back in the Old Testament afterwards. But notice here in Acts chapter 7 and in verse 9, it says, And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now, that's the end of the story. But how did it come to that? Well, it came to that as a result of Joseph overcoming some real obstacles, some industrial strength obstacles in his life. And we're going to talk about how to do the same. Let's pray before we begin, shall we? Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless now this time in thy word. We thank you for this, this story. Father, we know it's in the Bible for a purpose. And now I pray that you would help us to draw strength and wisdom from it. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, everything in the Bible is there for a purpose. There's a reason to it. Every story there has order to it. And actually, if you look at these stories, they kind of unfold. And that's what we're doing, unfolding the, the life of of Joseph. We're finding some things from his life that we can benefit from in the 21st century. God put his life story in the Bible along with guys like Abraham and Moses and David and others so that we could kind of look at it line upon line, precept upon precept, and look at their experience which took place via BC and even the first century and bring it up to the 21st century to help us learn some truths here. You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10:11. Now, all these things happen unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The things that happened to them were examples to us 
And I do believe we're living in the last days. It speaks here of the end of the world coming upon us. And we, especially in these days, need to look at those stories and draw some strength from them, some encouragement from them, some wisdom from them, some lessons from them. Now, where does it start? Well, it starts with a man by the name of Joseph, but it goes back further than that. Actually, Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham. Abraham, we could say technically, is the first Jew. We have the Jewish race with us yet to this day. We have the nation of Israel to this day. Some of you are going over there to visit their land here. But we find here that it all started with Abraham. And then Abraham had a son by the name of Isaac. And Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob. Jacob had 12 boys. And the second to the youngest was the one we're looking at, Joseph. So he's the great-grandson of the first Jew, Abraham. We find that God does a marvelous work in the life of Joseph. God's working in his life on purpose. He goes through the mill. And you're going to see that some more today. But God was working on him as an individual. God was working out some things in his family, which was dysfunctional at the least. God was doing something to bring actually the Jewish nation, which was small at that time, about 70-some, from the Holy Land down to Egypt for a purpose where they would be for hundreds of years before he would take them back to conquer the Promised Land. The Bible tells us the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. God was waiting. He needed a place for His people before He shoved the inhabitants of the Holy Land out and gave it to His people. And that all ties in with how they got to Egypt here. It's a marvelous truth here. It really is. You see, God is always working in our lives. God is always up to something. God is never content with where we are at. And and sometimes that can rub us the wrong way, can it? But He doesn't want us becoming stagnant. And so he'll send things into our lives to shake up our perfect little world every so often. And really, the life of Joseph was anything but a perfect little world. But he put him through the mill for a reason. You see, we have a promise from God in Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Are you one of them? If you are, we find out that God is working in your life for a reason to bring all those things that are happening to you together to fulfill his perfect plan and purpose for your life. Now we find here as Stephen is is preaching his last sermon, notice he says here in chapter 7 and in verse 9, and the patriarchs, that's the ten brothers of Joseph, and by the way, they were rotten to the core, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And that's the, the expression that you'll find over and over again in the story of Joseph, but God was with him. And this bad thing happened, and that bad thing happened, but God was with him. So with that as a backdrop, let's turn back to Genesis chapter 39, where we were last time. And last time we saw that Joseph was uh, surviving abuse. That was the first point. We see Joseph surviving abuse. His brothers hated him. His ten brothers actually were, were wicked. One committed a, a form of incest with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Another one committed a form of incest with his stepmother. Uh, another couple of them wiped out a whole village, and, and it just doesn't get any better than that. We find out these guys were rotten, and they hated him. We find also that his dad favored him. That didn't help matters any. I said, parents, not a wise thing to do. Joseph couldn't help that, but Jacob, his dad, was playing favorites. We find also that, well, Joseph was righteous. And that rubbed his brothers the wrong way because they were rotten and they wanted him to be like them. And that's the way it normally works. And so we find out as a result, he's rejected. 
He has to survive this rejection, this abuse. I said he's a picture of Christ, remember? Jesus Christ was also rejected. He was rejected by his foes. They hated him. They, they said he had a devil. They said he was a Samaritan. Uh, he was rejected by his family. They said he is beside himself. The Bible says neither did his brethren believe in him. He was rejected even by his friends, the 12. They all forsook him and fled, the Bible tells us. So he was no stranger to rejection, and Joseph being a picture of him was the same way. Well, Joseph was sold into slavery, and, and yet he survived that abuse. We see him surviving abuse. Secondly, we see him sidestepping allurement, temptation. That's the next test here in the school that God is putting him through. It's seduction. He passed that first test of rejection with flying colors. He came through it, but now he gets down to Egypt, and there in Egypt, He's bought by the head of the guards, a guy by the name of Potiphar. And, and Potiphar brings him into his house. We pick it up in Genesis 39. And in verse number 5, it says, And it came to pass from the time that he made him, that is Joseph, overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the, in the house and in the field. It was an amazing thing. It was a miracle. But you see, Joseph, we could say, had the Midas touch, spiritually speaking. Because he just walked with God and he kept a good attitude and he was sincere and did all the, the things right to, to have a life that was pleasing to God. So whatever he was associated with, God blessed. You ever known anyone like that? God's blessings are so on them that you just kind of hitch your start of their wagon, as they say, and you can get in on some of those blessings. You can get under the same spot where the glory pours out. And that's how it was with Joseph. Now notice in verse 6 here. It says, and he, that's Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught or anything that he had, save or except the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. So here's Potiphar, doesn't have to worry about a thing, turns it all over to Joseph, all he does is show up for supper, you know, and eat. And, and he, he says, as long as the food's on the table, I'm good. Now notice in verse 7, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth or knoweth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them saying, See, he that is Potiphar hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me and I cried with a loud voice. Now here we have Satan trying to discourage Joseph and really take him out of commission. The devil is a master fisherman and he uses deadly hooks. Deadly bait. 
He will tempt us. And that's where we have to sidestep allurement. That's what Joseph did. And the devil will tempt us with pride. He'll tempt us with uh, selfishness, with wanting the limelight, all kinds of sins, being stubborn, gossiping, uh, loving pleasure and, and coveting and, and lusting and all these things. And, and they're all out there. But here's a glorious promise from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, everyone experiences it. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Notice I've highlighted God is faithful. No question about that. And also, He'll make a way to escape. There's always an out. We're going to see that in the life of Joseph here. We see it in our lives as well. There's temptation out there. There's allurement out there. But with God's help, there is victory. Now, what kind of temptations did Joseph have to overcome? You say, well, seduction. No, it goes back further than that. Actually, it starts with the temptation of pride. He was a goodly person. We read that a moment ago. That means he was handsome. And so he could have had the pride of of looking good. Secondly, he's the head of the whole household. No accountability at all. His, his boss doesn't even know where the, the, you know, anything's going or coming except the next meal. Notice we find in verse number 6 that he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and knew not aught he had save or except the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. So he's got all this going for him. Good looking guy, head of the household, no accountability. He says, my master doesn't even check in on me. But he has character nonetheless. And he had character so much so that his master could trust him with everything. Somebody said character is what we really are, not what people think we are. Character is, is what we do and how we behave and how we act when nobody's looking, when nobody would know. Character is really what we are in the dark. And Joseph is a man of great character. But he could have fallen to pride. Because nobody's checking on him. He's risen to the top. You know what? He could have gotten to start to feeling indestructible. And, and, and being a young man like he was, you know, everything's just coming my way. I got that Midas touch. You know, young people can do this. You know, I ever noticed uh, young people, they, they've been driving a, maybe a matter of weeks or months and they think they're Mario Andretti, you know. They, they can drive like a pro and, and they're just an expert. It could be a number of different things. Uh, They could mess with alcohol, thinking it'll never get to me. Oh, yeah? Uh, They could mess with pornography. Well, it'll never uh, lure me in. Yes, it will. It will. You know, I've seen a number of people, young and old, where they don't have accountability, they take liberties. And the pride begins to get to them. I've seen uh, financial gurus and moguls that, that reach the top and they're not accountable and they embezzle or they do something stupid. Success is a real temptation. It's a, it's a real step to sin. It's a setup. It really is. You know, when, when, when Elijah uh, wiped out the 450 prophets of Baal, you would say, well, now he's at his strongest. No, he was at his weakest. And that's when he ran from one woman, Jezebel. He was at the top. Joseph was a slave who rose to the top. Think about that. But he stayed humble. He stayed humble. And really, that's the reason he was promoted. He stayed humble. The Bible says before honor is humility. Before we are honored, there must be humility. Proverbs 15, 33. And God may want to promote me. God may want to promote you. But we've got to stay humble, folks. That's 
that's hard to do. But first of all, he's, he's actually tempted by pride. Secondly, by desirability. Not only was he good-looking, but he was the top in that household. And so he's got this preeminence. And by the way, that can foster pride. And so Potiphar's wife wants him all the more. This is the top guy. And he's got this preeminence now. He's desirable. You know, they have groupies all over that are, that are wanting to spend a night with somebody famous, be it a, a singer, be it an athlete. I was uh, behind the uh, Metrodome years ago, the year after the Twins had uh, won the World Series. And we were waiting out there for somebody, and one of the Twins baseball players came out to get in his car. I recognized him right away. In fact, he got the winning hit in the World Series, the, the winning RBI. And so I walked over and, and said hi, and, and I talked to him a little bit. As soon as a, a group of, of pretty girls recognized him, they were over there, hey, Gene, how you, what are you doing tonight, and all this kind of stuff. And to, to his credit, he just kind of, <laughs> no thanks, girls. But I'm telling you, if you're famous, if, you're, if there's preeminence, if you're well-known, if you're rich, suddenly you're targeted. And here we have Joseph now. He's got all this stuff going for him. Besides, Potiphar probably has a bad marriage. So you got this bad combination here, and we find in verse 7, it says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Notice, she cast her eyes upon him. The eyes can get us in a lot of trouble. In fact, this whole mess we have today throughout the world, it, it can be traced back to the Garden of Eden, and the fall of mankind when Eve cast her eyes upon forbidden fruit. It was the sin of the eye, first of all. It was the sin of the eye that got to Achan. Achan was coveting that, that Babylonian garment and all that, that wedge of gold and all that. It was his eyes that got him into trouble. It was David's eyes that got him into trouble. Folks, we've got to watch your eyes. She cast her eyes upon him. Our eyes can get us into a lot of trouble. First John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of God, but is of this world. There's that lust of the eyes. Now, picture yourself in Joseph's shoes, okay? Uh, he's away from home. He's, he's young. He's good-looking. He's been wronged, so he could be bitter. And he could justify sinning by saying, hey, if this is the best God can do, then I'm going to go ahead and go for it. We also find this woman coming after her. Proverbs 7.22 says of this gullible man, he goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter. Notice, here's Potiphar's wife coming on strong. This young, good-looking guy, Joseph, here away from home, has, has everything going for him, and, and, and she's tempting him, and he, he's, he could be an ox going to the slaughter. Potiphar's wife is on the prowl. We call that trolling. She's, she's out for him. She's gunning for him. Picture yourself there. This beautiful woman, no doubt, dressing provocatively, trying to seduce Joseph. The, 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 the skirt is higher than it should be. The blouse is lower than it should be. The outfit is tighter than it should be. And by the way, women know what they're doing when they dress like that. And your clothes say it for you. If somebody's dressing to be noticed or to have their own emotional needs met or they're flirting, they're actually an object of lust. And she was that. No doubt she's also turning it on with the charm, using flattery. Joseph, you're so much better looking than Potiphar, and you're so much stronger, you're so much younger, you're so much smarter, you're so much this, you're so much that. You know, Proverbs 6.24 mentions to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a 
strange woman. Watch out for flattery, okay? It mentions here the strange woman, simply meaning somebody that doesn't belong to you. She might be somebody else's wife, or or you have another woman you're married to, but that woman is foreign to you. That woman is strange to you. You have no business being flattered by her, going after her. That is out of bounds. What do we do when we are seduced like this? Well, we ought to have safeguards, folks. There ought to be a wall there. There really should be. If you have any temptation or any allurement that you need to sidestep, stay away from it. If it's alcohol, stay away from it. If it's it's pornography, and the Bible does say a lot about nakedness. If it's pornography, stay away from it. If it's the wrong activities, stay away from them. If it's people that will bring you down, if it's the wrong crowd, if it's the wrong influence, stay away from them. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. That word simply means associations. You get around the wrong associations, it will corrupt what you know is right. In fact, really, stay within the safe harbor of a New Testament church and the right crowd and the right pressure, if you will. But watch out for those peer groups. Young people, watch out about trying to be cool and be accepted and fit in. If it's the wrong crowd, stay away from it. Take it seriously. Joseph took it seriously. He wasn't hanging around Potiphar's wife. He wasn't hobnob with her and not taking in her compliments and so on. Joseph had everything but one thing, really, and it was intimacy. And that was out of bounds for him. And that's where the devil's going to try and tempt him now. He's coming after him. And by the way, nobody is immune from temptation. Satan knows how to push your buttons. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. You say, it could never get to me. The booze, the uh, sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whatever it might be, the porn art, it'll never get to me. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There's not a person here who can say, it'll never get to me. In fact, before you go on to heaven, it could mess up your life. Before the end of this year, it could trip you up. Before the end of this month, it could trip you up. You just never know. The bottom line is, do you love God more than you love that temptation? Because the temptations are out there. How are you going to sidestep allurement? Fall in love with the Lord. Fall more in love with the Lord, basically. Do you love God more than sin? The Bible gives us a lot of examples of those who were tempted. Moses would be another one. In fact, a a few hundred years later, Moses would have the world at his fingertips. All the the wine women's song that any man could desire here. And and, in fact, Moses, a descendant of, of Joseph, basically, of the Jewish people, was the one who took the bones of Joseph hundreds of years later back to the promised land. But there he was in Egypt. All that temptation was there. But he sidestepped it. And he's immortalized forever because he did. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11.25 that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Notice he made the right choice. He sidestepped allurement. Just because you're saved, don't think you're safe from any temptation. Really, the flesh is still there. The temptations are still there. None of us are out of the woods. And really, Satan's like a magnet. He never quits. And we find that here in our story. Notice, he kept telling her no. Look in verse 10. It says, And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. Every day this went on, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her 
or to be with her. You know what the devil's goal is? It's to wear us down. To eventually wear us down. Day by day, it says here, he came after Joseph here. And he's trying to wear us down. You know, when Jesus was fasting for for over a month out there in the desert, the devil showed up at his weakest point, didn't he? Physically speaking. And he tried to tempt him there. The devil will settle for any type of compromise. And notice in verse number 10, it says, first of all, to be with her and then, and then to lie by her. He's, he's doing everything he can to just suck you in one inch at a time. Do we give in? That's the bottom line. Some give in easily and really don't even resist. And we're told to resist Satan and he shall flee from you. But some don't even put up a fight. We read in Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight: He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls, which in Old Testament days was worthless. Notice it mentions having rule over our own spirit. Do we have that? Now look in verse number 11 here. It says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. Now, I wonder what happened to all the men in the house. Do you have a sneaking suspicion she sent them all on a wild goose chase? She sent them out to do something? She wanted to get alone with this guy. And by the way, divide and conquer. And, and we can be very vulnerable when we're alone. That's one reason why I don't get alone with another woman in a house. That's one reason why I don't drive alone in my car with another woman other than my wife or daughter, obviously. That's why I don't go out to eat alone with another woman. Now, if your job requires that, that's between you and your employer. But as a preacher, I dare not get alone with anyone. When I counsel, there's a window in the room that I counsel if I'm counseling a woman alone. And, and there are people that are milling around. Joseph recognized the devil's tactics. This woman got him alone. And sin and temptation are like quicksand. And he's just going to go down unless he does something about it. You see, sin is not passive. We sell sin short. We really do. Sin is aggressive. I want you to see how aggressive this woman is here. Potiphar's wife is making all the moves here. In verse 12, after everything else failed, it said, She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Notice how bold she was, how bold sin is, how aggressive, how proactive sin is. Now, how does Joseph resist this? Again, he's a normal man, but he resists her. Well, first of all, he keeps refusing. We find in verses 8, 10, 12, she keeps coming on stronger, turning up the heat more, but he keeps saying, no, 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 no. And by the way, the first word a kid needs to learn is no. If you're a parent here and you haven't taught your kids that word yet, they're in for a long haul in life. And we live in a society that hasn't learned the meaning of the word no. No. There are some things that are out of bounds. But in our society, anything goes. And nothing's sacred anymore. What is wrong with us? We don't know how to say no. A decisive no will keep us out of a lot of trouble. And it would be good to get that word down. But here she is, she's relentless, and, and sin is relentless, and, and Joseph can't quit his job there and just go someplace else. This gal's coming after him day after day. So first of all, he knows how to refuse. Secondly, he, he knows he's accountable. 
look in verse number 8. It says, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master knoweth not or wotteth not what is with me in the house and hath committed all that he hath into my hand. And then at the end he says also, uh, verse 9, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He's saying, I'm accountable to your husband. He's my boss. I'm accountable to God. I cannot let them down. You and I need to stop when temptation comes our way and we're trying to sidestep allurement and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I am accountable. How could I do this to my wife? How could I do this to my children? How could I do this to my relatives? How could I do this to the rest of the church members? How could I do this to God? Folks, we forget that. But we are accountable. We're accountable. How could we do it to God alone? How could we drag God's name through the mud like that by being a bad testimony? You know, when David committed adultery, there are a lot of things he did wrong. But when the prophet Nathan showed up, he mentioned some things and he added this. You've given reason for the enemies of God to blaspheme. You've been a terrible testimony. The heathen are out there yapping about your sin, a so-called man of God, a man after God's own heart. And you've done this and you've dragged the, the name of God through the mud. Don't ever do that. Young people, be accountable. How, can you, how could you let your parents down? How can you let your grandparents down? How could you let your pastor down? How could you let your Sunday school teacher down? How can we let people down? Joseph realized, wait a minute, I'm accountable. I'm accountable to Potiphar. I'm accountable to God. We read in 1 John 2.14, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. We can overcome Satan. So first of all, he knows how to refuse. Secondly, he knows he's accountable. Thirdly, Joseph didn't minimize sin. Look what he said in verse 9. He's talking to Potiphar's wife. He says, There is none greater in this house than I, neither have he uh, kept back anything from me uh, but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice what he calls it here. Great wickedness. He said, woman, what you are proposing here is wicked. What an insult to her, by the way. I wonder what she thought when he called it that. But she was a tramp, a hussy, basically. And he's saying, what you want to do is wicked. This is a great wickedness. He didn't mince any words. By the way, today we mince words. We, we smirk about adultery. We call it an affair. We call it flirting. We call it a fling and so on. God calls it great Wickedness. Great wickedness. We say, well, it's just a pornography. Ha, ha, ha. No, it's great wickedness. Well, it's just a getting drunk. Ho, ho, ho. No, it's great wickedness. Well, it's just taking God's name in vain. What a... No, it's great wickedness. Sin is a ravenous beast. And folks, don't let the society we live in callous you to that fact. It'd be so easy to do that. To really take our cue from the world. Don't do that. We need the, we need the proper view. So Joseph didn't minimize sin. Fourthly, Joseph realized he belonged to God. He said, I can't do this to my God. You belong to God as well if you're saved. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice, we're bought with a price. That's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we are to glorify God in the bodies that he has given to us. And Joseph knew that God owed owned every part of his body, basically. 
Now, the other thing about Joseph is he's, he was properly armed. And if, if you and I are going to overcome seduction, we're going to have to be armed with the Word of God. We're given the armor in Ephesians 6 and in verse 17. And just one piece, it says, and take the helmet of salvation. Notice, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you and I don't have a daily diet of some Bible, we're going to be vulnerable to that temptation out there. You know, when the devil tried to seduce Jesus Christ, remember what he did? Quoted Scripture, didn't he? Once and twice and three times, he quoted Scripture to overcome the devil. And if you and I are running on fumes in our spiritual gas tank, and we're tempted, I, I don't give us much hope. I really don't. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, to flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's like God sets that one aside as something that you really need to run from, which is exactly what Joseph did. He fled from fornication. He didn't saunter out of the room. He fled. He ran. Well, what was the outcome of all this? Well, Joseph ended up in prison. He's punished. He knew that when he ran out of that room, he's either dead or, or in jail. Because hell knoweth no wrath like a woman scorned. And that's what he had done. He had scorned this woman. He knew he would pay. Why did God let him suffer? Why did God send him into prison? Well, God had a bigger plan than this. This is something we need to never forget. God saw way beyond this time period to a famine, a serious seven-year famine that was coming. And a man that could run the world at that time by the name of Joseph. You see, God sees way down the road where we don't. If bad stuff is happening, don't get bitter. God's up to something. He's always up to something. Trust Him. So we see here Joseph surviving abuse. We see Joseph sidestepping allurement. And then thirdly, we see Joseph suffering accusation. We pick it up in chapter 39. Notice in verse number 13. It says, And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. Well, to make a long story short, she puts that garment by the wayside. Potiphar comes home. She says, that guy, that Joseph, that Hebrew you bought as a slave, tried to rape me. Here's the proof. I caught his garment as he was, was running out. And, of course, Potiphar was upset. And Joseph ends up in prison over this. We find out he's now going to suffer accusation. In 1 Peter 3.17, the Bible says, For it is better if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, it's one thing if we've got it coming, if we've made our own mess, and most of the time, to be honest, we do, don't we? It's one thing to have to suffer for making our own mess. It's another thing to suffer for well-doing. Joseph is going to suffer, but in the course of his suffering, he's going to learn to be compassionate, and he's going to learn to treat people with mercy because he's going to need that for his job description that was coming up. He would have to be sympathetic to the pathetic. And Joseph knew what it was like to lose everything and have to start from scratch. God was putting him through the school here to teach him how to dispense mercy. She says, this Hebrew has come in to mock us. She throws that out there, the fact he's an outsider. He's a foreigner. 
uses that as arsenal. She's sandbagging herself. She's trying to get these servants on her side. Servants that were probably jealous of Joseph already. She's telling half lies. Yeah, Joseph came in unto her. That's where the truth ends there. But he refused her advances. And the reason she cried afterwards, it was to come back. And finally, when, when he didn't, she's mad and she accuses him. Now, Potiphar should have had Joseph beheaded. I mean, that's what you would do if you're the head of the guards. Some guy comes after your wife, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Do you think maybe he knew the truth of the matter? I don't think you could be married to a woman like that and not know what she's like. I don't think you could hire a guy like Joseph and raise him to the top without knowing what he's like. I think the bottom line is he was mad afterwards, but he was mad because of this predicament his wife had put him in. He just lost the best man he had ever had because of her immorality, her advances here. And by the way, I've, I've known guys or, or gals, even, let me put it this way, have you ever had to patch up somebody else's mess? They keep opening their mouth, they keep being inappropriate, they keep doing something dumb, and the mess lands in your lap? Well, such was the case here. He had a mess now. How is he going to fix this thing here? Well, he doesn't have them beheaded, he just has them thrown into prison, which was probably worse. Imagine how Joseph felt at this point. He had been nothing but faithful to his God. He had done everything right, and now he's in prison. He's at the lowest ebb of his life. An Egyptian prison cell was not a pretty place, and that's where Joseph finds himself trying to be faithful. But again, he's a picture of Christ, isn't he? And Jesus Christ, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he took it, And he kept living with the hope inside that he was doing the Father's will. And friend, that's the bottom line. Joseph knew he was doing God's will. There's a reason God puts these stories in the Bible. It tells us in Romans 15, 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. I want you to latch on to that verse as we close here today that we might have hope. These things were placed in the Word of God that we might have hope and comfort through the Scripture. As we read through these stories of the Bible, we don't do so quickly. We think about the characters. We put ourselves in their sandals. We see the mistakes they made, but we see the mercy of God in it all. God was merciful to Joseph. He was at work in his life like he's at work in our lives today, trying to make us something that will bring glory and honor unto him if we overcome You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.